Lauren. Mike. Lauren, what is your go-to kitchen gadget? Like the one piece of equipment in the kitchen that you can't live without? I have two and neither are internet connected. That's fine. What are they? One is a $7 Swiss knife, mm -hmm. a cutting knife, not an army knife. Sure. It's so sharp. It'll take your fingertip off in an instant. That's what you want. It's great. And the second is a box cutter, which I think was also $7 from Amazon. <laughs> a box cutter? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't use it for cooking. I just use it for like... <laughs> Unpacking uh, the box. Why is everyone laughing? That's not for the kitchen. <laughs> it oh, is for the kitchen. You can put it anywhere. You can have a box cutter anywhere. Oh, What's boy. yours? Uh, probably my electric kettle because it's what I use to make coffee and nothing happens if I can't make coffee. That's actually a really good one. All right. Well, we'll talk more about this on today's show. And box cutters. Mm Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I eat salads for breakfast and use box cutters in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm a senior writer at Wired. We're also joined this week by food writer and frequent contributor to Wired, Joe Ray. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Joe. Hello. We are very excited to have you as a guest, Joe. Uh, first of all, because this is your first time on the show, you're in town. It worked out. So we're happy to have you. But also because the area that you cover for us, the smart kitchen, connected cooking, kitchen technology in general, cookbooks, is very central to our lives. We all cook. We all use our kitchens. We wish they could be better. We wish we could be better in our kitchens. It feels like one of the most important areas of coverage that we do, more important than iPhones and Pixel phones and e-bikes and Kindles, any day of the week. Wouldn't you agree? You got to feed yourself. <laughs> Man's got to eat. <laughs> well, let's start with a broad look at the space. Uh, one of the things that you cover a lot is what we call the smart kitchen. So when we talk about the smart kitchen, what are we talking about? I would say there is a pretty vague definition of that, but we could probably boil it down to it being modern cooking appliances that have a bit of computer help. Maybe you have an app on your phone, or maybe they have a screen right on them, or some combination of all of those, all in the effort to help make you a better cook. Does it usually work? Yeah, does it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> not very well, no. So if you weren't a good cook before, it's not going to be like the you know Wi-Fi connected sous vide wand that's going to turn you into one. I, I try to be optimistic about this stuff, but I don't think it is as good as everyone wants it to be. Mm. I feel like somebody with some money got in a room and wanted to make an app and wanted to connect their sous vide wand or their oven or their something to it and didn't really realize that we have already been cooking for millennia. Like we've been cooking forever. And if you think about cooking on a graph, like cooking since the beginning, since like cavemen, the line slowly, steadily moves up. We go through amazing cuisines. We go through Indian cuisine. We go through French cuisine. This has been happening for centuries. There's all this slow and steady progress that we make. And now we get to the modern day and kitchen appliance manufacturers would have you believe that by plugging an app onto your phone, suddenly that slow and steady line is going to go vertical. Mm -hmm. And it does not. <laughs> <laughs> Put tech aside for a moment, what actually makes a good cook? A good cook is, I would say that is practice, interest, and a decent set of very basic tools. 
So you've got a nice knife. Maybe not a box cutter, but a nice knife. <laughs> um, That's why my potatoes got are so hard to cut. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a cutting board. You've got, you know, an oven. You've got a pan you use that you like, that you trust, that works pretty well. And it's stuff that you feel comfortable with. And then maybe a good cookbook or a good cooking show to inspire you a little bit. But you don't need a lot more than that. You just need to practice. Like yeah. you need to figure out how to cut an onion. You need to figure out how to make spaghetti sauce. But it doesn't, tech doesn't really have to figure into that. It can, and sometimes it works really well, but most of the time it doesn't. Uh, you know, I've I've been racking my brain trying to think of the places where technology has actually like enhanced the experience in the kitchen. And I mean, obviously there are, there are many that, seem obvious, but if you look at just where we were 10 years ago or not, right? Induction cooking is a big one, right? This is the, the style of cooktop where it uses magnetic energy to heat things inside of mm. conductive pans. Yes. Kettles that let you dial exact temperatures. Super cool. Right? So I want my hot water to be exactly 205 degrees. I have a kettle that can do that. 10 years ago, it was just like boil the water and then let it sit for three minutes. Much better. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and timing is such an important part of cooking too, right? So some of the technology we've seen introduced in recent years, like smart displays or Amazon Echo speakers, they're great for setting timers. Yeah. I swear that's right. like the only thing that I use them for, for the most part, because I don't have kids. So I'm not like play Baby Shark on repeat. I'm really just like set another timer for the cooking. Yeah. One of the most recent favorite gadgets I got was a plexiglass holder for my cookbooks. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but that kind of outdoes a lot of what I find on apps. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, a great guided cooking app might, let's go back to the idea of chopping up an onion. It might run you through with a couple little videos. As you do the menu, you might be able to pop out and say, here's how to chop an onion. And they'll just show somebody's hands chop, 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 you do it this, you do that, and you're done. And then you can pop back into the uh, the recipe and you'll be fine. And you continue down the recipe. And if you do all that, it can be very helpful. But the problem with that is that's a bucket load of money for a company to invest. So if you're a pan company, you make pans that already cost a lot of money. You need to market those pans. That also costs a lot of money. But if you want to do a smart pan and it is something that is specific, especially like a sous vide is even a better example where it's maybe somebody isn't used to that style of cooking, then you're as the manufacturer, you're kind of forced to train the people in how to use the product and get the most out of it. But then you've got to do all these little videos. Like you need to you need to do the little side video of a guy chopping an onion. You need to do a video of how to chop up a chicken. You need to do a video of like how to cut a zucchini. And all of that takes mammoth. Not only are you doing a recipe, but you have to do all these little side projects to make it all smooth and helpful. And that is a chef or chefs. That is an app designer or designers. It's a design team. It's app recipe writers who are not necessarily the chefs. The list goes on and on, and you that's a lot of salaries. Mm -hmm. So are and you saying that's what makes some of the smart kitchen products we see today so expensive, or are you saying that ultimately you question if it's worth it? 
I'm saying I think that's why that they kind of peter out uh, or they like half ass it and it does not teach their own customer how to use their product well and so it ends up in the back of a cupboard. Yeah, I have to say I I have to say in my last no actually not my last apartment, two apartments ago when I was living with a partner, we had a lot of kitchen stuff. Um, I did not keep a lot of it. I mean, I was fine with that. I basically was like, you keep the KitchenAid stands and I'll take the cat. And I was yeah. very happy with that arrangement. <laughs> I took the espresso maker, which was a gift to me. And that actually is probably my favorite kitchen item above the knives and the, um, the, box the infamous cutter. box cutter. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'm never going to live that one down. But we had like a sous vide wand. We did have an Alexa that we used for timers. Um, the, yeah, just I just remember there being a lot of stuff and finding a lot of it to feel like a novelty and eventually just sort of ditching it and being like, I don't actually need to make a soft boiled egg over three hours. I just <laughs> oh, the don't. 60C egg? Yeah, or whatever that is. Oh, now there are some, delight. there's like this delta, right? That exists between what Joe is describing, which is just the really simple, amazing tools and then like the really, really expensive gear. But it seems like there's the, also an in-between category of stuff like a rice cooker mic that you you tell me about all the time. You're like, you yep. need to get a rice cooker. I do. Everybody everybody needs a good rice cooker. And that's not necessarily smart, or is it? It is uh, in a sense that it, you, it has sensors in it, right? So it senses when the steam is getting lower, so it knows that there's less moisture that needs evaporating, and it has you know timed cooking. It'll sort of create a soft landing into perfect rice instead of just dumbly turning off after a certain amount of time, right? Uh, it has different settings, so it knows what kind of grain you're putting in there. It has different settings for like oatmeal and and wild rice and long grain and short grain, sushi rice. So yeah, very smart compared to the last rice cooker I had, which just had on and warm, and that was it. It's a marvel. We don't have an app for it. No, it does not have an app. There are no videos being produced like the kind that Joe described. Correct. Okay. You just put the rice in. Yeah, I mean, but you also you have to know how to make rice, to your point, Joe. You got to know how to wash it. You got to know how to rinse it properly. You have to know to let it sit for 30 minutes before you start cooking because it turns out better that way. I am nowhere near as much of a rice cooker purist as Mike is, <laughs> but it is also probably my favorite single-use appliance in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily always rinse my rice. I should i know it depends <laughs> we we do a lot of brown rice at home but you put rice in a cup you put water in the pot up to the one cup line it just tells you how much to put in you put it in you close the lid you press cooking the cooking button and it sings a little song to you and then you go away and you do about other things and when you come back your rice is done because it sang another song <laughs> that's that <laughs> is very smart to me. Mm -hmm. That is my definition of smart, which is not what an app manufacturer would want you to And it's of. simple. Simple is better. It really is. Uh, we should talk more about it, but first let's take a break and we'll come right back. All right, welcome back. We are here with Joe Ray, a contributing writer at Wired who covers kitchen technology, food, cookbooks, all things culinary for us. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed about the smart kitchen is that when you have a device that has an app, it's controlled through the app, you look at that device and it conspicuously lacks buttons that you can touch. I know that this is something that you... <laughs> 
<laughs> can I swear on this podcast? You absolutely yes, can. Yes, welcome it. <laughs> I think this Encourage is the appropriate it, time. Yeah. Oh, goddamn. It's, it's as if somebody saw some sort of super clean monolith somewhere and wanted their devices to look like that. But when you're one of the most efficient cooking devices I can think of is my mother-in-law's old oven, which has a light switch on it. You want the light switch to go on, you hit the switch, the light comes on. You want the light to go off in the oven, you hit the switch, the light goes off. When you have the sort of no button appliance that connects to an app, how's your Bluetooth connection? Is it connected? Is it gonna drop? Because <laughs> it probably will drop. Where did I put the app? Where did I put the app? Oh, hey, my mom just texted. Oh, hey, Lauren. <laughs> Lauren just texted too, what's going on? <laughs> It's, I feel like if you route people through an app, you are just inviting them to get distracted. And to me, what cooking is about at a, like at the most sort of romantic sense is it's time to be together. Mm -hmm. You and I are going to have dinner sometime. We are going to maybe have a glass of wine. We are going to talk about what we're going to eat. We're going to talk about our days. It's like, it's a little bit of time. And whether or not that's like on a Tuesday night and we really don't have much time or it's an all day affair, that's fantastic. And as soon as you put my phone between me and you, I'm getting angry just talking about this. <laughs> I, like it's, it's a barrier. Mm -hmm. Like no one's giving you their full attention. If I put up an app, if I hold up my phone, if I get distracted by my phone, like, I'm here to be with you, and I'm here to be with you. I'm pointing at these guys right now. <laughs> and if you lift up your phone, you're you're going away a bit, yeah. and that drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Especially when you think about so many kitchens and living spaces being designed with that kind of communal experience in mind, right? I always like to joke that when you have friends over for like a gathering or a party, and you're like, oh, let's go hang out over here, everyone comes to the kitchen. Yeah. It's, it's the all place. people, that's the only place people want to congregate. And so if you're standing there and you're cooking for two friends or 12 friends to have your face in your phone, it does feel really, it feels like it's intrusive. It's, it, it drives me crazy. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there are times when you want to, you've got to kind of, kind of concentrate in the kitchen. Like if you're carving the Thanksgiving turkey, I will walk the bird around the room. And then I tell everyone to leave. <laughs> In fact, I have an apron that says, ask me about your hovering, but that. That's good. I love That's that. really good. That's good. Okay. So I, have one, I have one that says, uh, we dance around the kitchen in the refrigerator light. There you go. I'm just kidding. That's a Taylor Swift song. But Taylor Swift sings about this. People hang out in the kitchen. Right. Do. Does she sing about having an app in the kitchen? No, I think not. <laughs> I don't think no, so. Because it's not as so. much fun. No, it's not romantic. <laughs> So in the years that you've been writing for us, you've hit a lot of trends, right? There was the sous vide trend. There was the air fryer trend. There was the multi-cooker slash instant pot trend. What's next? I was thinking about this because I knew this question was coming. And I, <laughs> I kind of think we're in a bit of a shakeout right now. I think that there are enough frustrated people out there who are not super happy about the way the smart kitchen is going that I think manufacturers are not sure what to do. So I think I'm starting to see things tail off mm. a bit. We're seeing less smart products come out 
Are they still going to be internet connected, even if they, that's not like the primary feature? Is it something that's just sort of like like the way that 3D became like sort of just a part of TVs, but they stopped being marketed like that? <laughs> I think, and this brings me back to an idea I was thinking about before, is if it's a thing that is a perk, you can do it without danger. So to explain that a little, one product that does that really well is the Thermoworks Smoke. So it is a thermometer that's mostly for your grill and it has readouts. So I think you can stick a couple probes in your cooking. You can get the internal temperature of the grill. You can get the internal temperature of the thing you're cooking and you get everything you need on the readout that's right in front of you. If you pull out the phone and pull up the app, you can chart how your cooking is going. So you can see how the heat is going up. You can make sure it is staying level so you're cooking at a nice level temperature. And you can know when your food is done. That's great because that's an add-on. And so when you have something like that, it is, there's nothing to ding you for. Mm -hmm. You have everything you need without firing up your app. But if you want a little more, great. You've got it. And if you don't need it, or you don't want it, you don't have to fire it up. And I think that's the best way to go for a connected appliance. Solid advice. Thank you. <laughs> what would you say is on the other end of that spectrum? A big kitchen appliance, a fridge, a dishwasher, um, a stove, a microwave, something cooktop that has gone overboard. It's just too smart. It's completely unnecessary. The idea of a connected hub via your refrigerator. Okay. Like this, the screen that this, you're actually supposed to yes. like, touch. On yes, your, yes. That you're supposed to control all the things in your yes. home from. Horrible. Oh my God. I remember <laughs> seeing a Samsung fridge like a <laughs> yes. decade ago at the Samsung Experience store in New York City. And they were like, look, you can tweet from your fridge. And I was like, why would I want to no. do that? <laughs> I saw that and I went, hmm. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, I mean, in terms of smart fridge innovations, there was one a few years ago where if you, that had glass windows, which you're kind of taking a risk there because yeah. if your fridge is a mess, your fridge is a mess and it's on display. And if you knock on the window, I think twice, it lights up the fridge. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. But having some extra hub, another screen, another way to distract yourself in the middle of your kitchen, that's going to eventually get old and maybe be outdated before your refrigerator is old. Mm -hmm. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, oh, you're running low on milk because our sensors tell you that. And so you should add, you should do some bloop, bloop, bloop on the display here and add milk to your grocery list. And I'm like, yep. And I can just pull up Apple Notes on my phone and do the same thing. And then it's with me when I go to the grocery store. No bloops necessary. No, no bloops. <laughs> no. And then the repairs. We're not even getting into the repairs. Yeah. It's, it is It is true that, you know, uh, a, a generation ago, you could buy an oven and you would still be using that oven. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you went out and bought a new oven now, maybe it'll last 10 years. Talk about your like, dishwasher. Yes, I have this this Danby roll it around dishwasher that I bought 17 years ago and it still works great. Meanwhile, I have recommended it to friends who've come over and marveled at it and said, oh, look at that thing. I said, yeah, you should totally get one. They take a picture of the the label on the back that shows the model number. They order it and it dies within five years. 
So wow. it's like really hit or miss, I think. I don't think it has anything to do with like Danby's slow slide into like crappy <laughs> manufacturing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it's a crapshoot. Like things may not last as long as they used to. And I think a big reason why a lot of smart things don't last as long as they used to is because of the chips, right? Mm -hmm. It has a printed circuit board in it that has a limited lifespan. The app may not be supported. The company may go out of business and may get swallowed up by somebody else. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, the app changes and it doesn't work with the thing that you bought three mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. Yep. I always, I always tell people just to buy the dumbest thing you can. Yeah. My favorite button on my microwave is the add 30 seconds button. Oh, yeah. You can do everything with that. Mm -hmm. You can start your microwave. You can add 30 more seconds. Like you're not doing complicated stuff in there and you don't need to add complication to it. Yes, the the mm -hmm. add thirty seconds to this is the best button in the whole kitchen, right? It's on the microwave. Oh, it's on the, the Breville a bit toaster. More, right? Yeah, the a bit more button on the Breville toaster. Yeah, oh, I love that. They should do an add forty six seconds button. Why forty six? I always punch in forty six, like a minute forty six. Because of the way that like the four and the six are aligned on the on the keypad. Uh, no, because I don't like forty five. What about forty four? Yeah, I always do 44. 44 was great, you might recall. Do you know you have to move 45 your finger? 45 was the problem. <laughs> I'm not following this. We're talking in code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, it's time to take another break. And then when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. All right, this is the third and final part of our show where we go around the room and we each recommend a thing that our listeners might enjoy. Joe, you are our guest, so you get to go first. What's your recommendation? Thank you, Mike. My recommendation. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> my recommendation is Ali Slagle's cookbook, I Dream of Dinner, So You Don't Have To. Oh. And the premise on this one is that it's recipes that take less than 45 minutes and use less than 10 ingredients. But unlike something you might pick up on as a impulse purchase on Amazon, which just isn't going to do it for you, this one is smart. It is creative. It is like Otto Lenghi style recipes that you can do in a short amount of time. And when I wrote about this in my last cookbook roundup, I wanted to write so much more about this cookbook, and I thought this would be the perfect time to sing its praises. Nice. Sounds yes. great. What is what is the uh, the ideal, the archetypal 45-minute <laughs> or less recipe? My favorite recipe was her polenta and lime butter that gets a fresh boost with pepitas, cumin, and lime. And then, as a fun trick, you take a ear of fresh corn and you grate it on a box grater, and then you stir that in at the end. And it is simple. Is fast and it tastes five times more creative and better than anything I would have come up with on a Tuesday night. Wow. Yeah. That sounds so delicious. It's really good. It's a cookbook that I will keep, and I see a lot of cookbooks that I don't want to keep. And it's a cookbook that I would hand off to my sister, who is one of the most discerning natural chefs I've ever met. <laughs> and she has no patience for a bad cookbook. And I think she would really enjoy this one. And that's a really good find for me. That sounds awesome. Shout out to Joe's sister. Yeah. Hi, Gino. Discerning <laughs> chef. Joe, thank you for yet another awesome cookbook recommendation. Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is I'm going to put you on the spot, mm. Snack. Ooh. Okay. Um, Mike is an excellent chef. 
He's so a, I hear. He's really, really good. Um, when I first moved into my current apartment, this was about a year ago, Mike and Boone happened to be over one night and things were going late. We were getting hungry. And I said, maybe we should just order some food. And Mike said, no, 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 let me just see what you have in the kitchen here. Rummaged around, um, made us this delicious vegan, because he is a vegan. For those of you who listen to this podcast know this because we talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Mushroom man. No, we right. don't. Right. No, we do. We anyway, talk, please we go talk on. about it all the time. Continue. Mike's like, please go, please go. Please on. go on. Please continue. Uh, he made this delicious spaghetti with capers and red pepper flakes. And what else was in it? Onion. Tomato. Well, tomato. Um, yeah. And then I think maybe we had some vegan cheese on it. I definitely had regular Parmesan. <laughs> it was so delicious. Uh, Boone, do you remember this? Yeah. Boone is nodding. He's nodding. Not audibly. Um, but, and then I went to your house and enjoyed Thanksgiving last year with you and your wife, Hillary, and you guys made a vegan sidesgiving, mm-hmm. which was absolutely delicious. Mm. And I ate the leftovers for about three days afterwards. Me too. The best so, part of Thanksgiving. So good. Absolute best part. Um, there was this cannellini bean dish. Oh, yes. And um, the stuffing was fantastic. And then Mike recently came over to my place and we were doing some batch cooking for a friend of ours who needed some food and um, made this pasta e ceci. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Or uh, AKA. Pepe. No, it was no. Uh, pasta visual. It was oh. pasta visual. Yeah. Um, the beans were chickpeas. But you say ceci, right? Or is si. it ceci? See, si. Sure. Ceci. Okay. Um, gosh, my <laughs> my Italian great grandmother would be very disappointed in me right now. She didn't speak a word of English. Um, but. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic, and I think it's a New York Times recipe. Is it is, correct? yeah, yeah, it's New adapted, York Times recipe adapted. For pasta yeah. Um, it's so so good. So I've made it like five times since then, and then I, it does. This also includes red pepper flakes, and you can be a little bit generous with them. The first batch you made, Mike, there was a lot of spice in it, and so then I froze it, and by the time I opened it up and heated it up again, the the flavors had really settled, and it was wow, just. Mind blown. Is this your recommendation? This recipe? I don't even know what my recommendation is because Maybe now it's... I just I'm so hungry. I just want to go eat. Um, Maybe it's have Mike come over and cook for you. Yes, it's actually the <laughs> snack fight here. It, Michael Calore is, as his name might suggest, is an excellent cook. Oh uh, well, thank you. I'm flattered. So you're well. No, you're welcome. But the, check out the pasta. We'll link to the pasta chechi uh, recipe in the notes this week because I think that's actually my recommendation. I nice. Really, I really enjoyed it. I've made that probably 50 times it's that good yeah yeah it's really really good and sometimes because i like to mix things up for breakfast as people know i will have it for breakfast with a little egg on top nice it's really good the ability to riff like that in a kitchen to look in a fridge and come up with a dish off the cuff is a secret genuine skill i every time i cook i use a recipe because i can't do that well like you were saying it's practice practice right Mm -hmm. it's just having confidence that like oh i bet these things would go together and also like i I must say like a can of a can of tomatoes crushed tomatoes turning that into a sauce is like pretty Pretty simple goes a long way yeah Yeah, but the tomatoes matter though they do what kind of tomatoes you use and some people like the more sweet and you know yeah i uh i was just saying to mike before we started taping this that i actually i'm I'm feeling this very strong desire right now to go like move to the woods and not have anything (laughs) on my social calendar for about three months because i haven't cooked in a while and i really Mm. miss cooking i just don't want to be i want to be alone Mm -hmm. i want to be alone just cook that's it that's my recommendation that's admirable yeah how about you mike 
What's your recommendation? <laughs> surprise, surprise. Mine is also food related, although it's coffee related. Mm. Uh, so I have a very simple scale that I use for weighing out my coffee beans and then use for weighing out the water. Uh, and I've had this thing for over a decade. It's by a company called OXO. Mm -hmm. And it died recently. Oh, no. Yeah. The batteries leached and it ruined the battery cavity. And now, like, it just doesn't work anymore. So I had to buy a new scale. And a kitchen scale, it's like one of those things you must have, I think, if you're serious uh, about making bread or making things that are kind of complicated that have a lot of ingredients. It's really, really good to just have a scale. Uh, I use a scale for coffee every day. So I bought a coffee-specific scale. Ooh. Same brand. I'm a total loyalist, total homer. It's OXO Brew, and it's their Precision Scale with Timer. That's the name of the product. So it's a scale. Mm -hmm. It measures weights to a tenth of a gram. Wow. So you can see that you have 21.1 grams of beans mm -hmm. or 20.9 grams of beans, which is like completely ridiculous. Uh, but it has a timer built in. And if you make pour over coffee, you kind of need a timer. So that's my recommendation. How much is it? It was between $50 and $60. Okay. And was Prices, it worth it? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a good kitchen scale is like 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. So this one was a little bit more expensive. But uh, I think the fact that it's so sensitive and that it has a timer built in uh, makes the extra cost worth it. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, if you're serious about coffee, you probably already have a scale. If you were serious in the kitchen, you probably already have a scale. But when your scale dies. It's a sad day. Yeah. Because then you're just like, oh, my God, I have to guess how much water I'm pouring. And what if I pour too much and it runs over and then it gets all over me? Yeah, whatever. Um, when your scale dies and you need a new one, consider this one because it's it's awesome. It's also very fast. Is it versatile enough that you can also weigh out uh Flour for bread, for instance. Yeah, it's a six pound scale, okay. so it stops recording after after six pounds. Uh, so yeah, I used it. I used it to make some bread. Okay, but you yeah. could get away with just one scale, and that could be your scale. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nice. I think unless you're cooking things that are more than six pounds. Fair. I have not encountered a recipe that's more than six pounds. Whole pumpkin. <laughs> Whole pumpkin. <laughs> this is very unrelated, but I also like the Oxo um, brush for washing dishes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make a good one. Yeah, the one yeah. is it the one that you put the uh, soap inside the yeah. brush? Yeah, it's pretty great. F just phenomenal. They make great stuff. They really do. Yeah, we've written about them in Wired. Right? This is oh yeah, yeah. And this is not SpawnCon. No, we it's should, not. We should note that this <laughs> is like they it's they, it's a good company that makes smart stuff. A lot of plastic though. We don't well, need more plastic. No, in the we world. don't. But hopefully, it'll last you for a very long time. I hope so. Hope so. I second all that. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you need to come back more often so we can just talk about food for the I podcast. Do that if I didn't live so far away. <laughs> Turn this into the food lab. Where do you live? Seattle. It's not that It's not, not that far. far. Yeah. It's a short flight. I was just there last week. Yeah. 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 You can bike it in like a week. No problem. No problem. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thanks again, Joe Ray, for joining us. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's yeah. so great to have you, Joe. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. Until then, goodbye. And bon appetit. Bon appetit. Bon appetit. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom. 
like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the US dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.